It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two uh, coordinates, plus E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, also, you can check out any of our previously recorded conversations, interviews on our SoundCloud. And also check out our our website at elmntfm.ca. And then uh, just follow the links to one of the two stations. And you're welcome to listen at either of those and check out the other things that we're doing online and with our social media. It's a pleasure to welcome two guests to the show. Uh, We are pleased to have with us uh, some uh, feature documentary people, Albert Nuremberg and Nick Sheehan. Uh, You may know them from some of their previous work. Uh, Nick has been involved with Flickr and No Sad Songs. Albert has been involved with You Are What You Act and Laughology. They're here today to talk about something that should sound very comical uh, in terms of the title. You would think it is, that it's not a serious topic, but in fact, uh, their, their collaboration of the, the documentary they are, were, they are going to be launching on the uh, June 28th at the uh, Documentary Channel, 9 p.m., and will be featured there forth, uh, forward on the Documentary Channel. You'll be able to see it there. It's called Who Farted? Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great to be here. Yeah, great to be here. And as I say, uh, after watching the the documentary, um, you <laughs> would think with a title of uh, of that nature that it was it is something that it would be uh, a comical uh, you know uh, expression that you were going to be watching, which it is, of course, to some degree. But you are able to wrap in some really interesting uh, pieces of information. Are not only around uh, passing gas, but also uh, our history and our world in terms of climate change and what we're doing to this planet. It was one way yeah, into the climate change story. Go ahead, Albert. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I can almost guess what Nick is going to say, but part <laughs> of the issue was that, um, you know, most climate change films are these sort of finger wagging kind of, uh, we got to do more kind of, uh, projects. Not that that's bad because that's probably true, but I think there's a fatigue out there where people don't like to see climate change films. And uh, we wanted to make one that's more really about, you know, about human survival without any finger wagging. And um, I mean, the, the crux of it is rather than the sort of conventional idea that we're kind of slowly heating ourselves up out of, you know, out of existence, it's much more probable that we're basically farting ourselves out of existence as a civilization. So that's why that's the fart connection. Exactly. And that's what is, of course, you know, uh, is humorous on uh, when you first hear it. But when you say, what do you mean by that? And then you get into the actual facts of it. Uh, it's not so funny because it, it is a serious matter that is being discussed. Uh, you know, it's funny. Yep. I mentioned just one thing that's funny sure. about that is that, okay, so, the, the, you know, in the film, there's a, a, a little girl who says, are we all going to die because of farts? <laughs> yes. Now, you're right. From our point of view, if we all died because of farts as a civilization, it's not probably funny. But my daughter, you know, at the time, who was 12 years old, she said, if you look at it from the point of view of aliens, if aliens are watching our civilization and they see us like destroy ourselves with farts, 
that might be funny to them. So mm-hmm. it's like perspective really mm-hmm. matters. Actually. Sorry. So go ahead. No, that's. I'm glad you mentioned your daughter because, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, it was your your daughter and uh, and a friend who were doing a, a I guess a science presentation that uh, brought this to your attention. Yeah, exactly. Um, my daughter, um, you know, just did a, my daughter is a joker and she wanted to do a presentation about, you know, farts because it would be funny. And this is really, she had the same experience we had. Farts are funny. There's a lot of really funny things about farts and, and the science. But then she, you know, if you keep going, you realize it's other side that um, bovine farts, cows, ruminants, our agricultural system is literally farting up the atmosphere so fast and so dramatically that we I, we might all go in a giant fart, uh, which is what she discovered and sort of led me into this film. Yeah, that that's so. It 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 of course is just humorous to hear, and yet it it is. And and what really makes that more to the point for me is that we recently did uh, some interviews with people talking about uh, replacing meat, you know, because of the demand. Mm. Uh, that mm. the world is going to need in terms of the the beef that is going to be have to be produced. Now that means a heck of a lot more cows, and that of course means a heck of a lot more methane in the air. And yeah. uh, and and you know, so I, it, it's very interesting from that perspective. Uh, Nick, I have to ask you. Uh, it sounds like Albert got got wind of this if you don't mind that, <laughs> before you because of his daughter. But uh, doing this presentation, he presented this idea to you. What what did you say to this? Um, well, I thought Albert and I had been sort of working for a while on on how to approach the whole thing, and he mentioned that his daughter had this idea. So we hmm. of course incorporated it into right. the film, and it ended up structuring the whole journey, as right. it were. So. Uh, so, uh, you know, y- you take us on a journey um, uh, through many different things. You take us uh, through the Inferno. Uh, uh, you know, I was surprised to see you tie in uh, religion, uh, the Inferno, uh, and Satan. end up with... Well, with Satan, t- yes. We're trying to find out who farted. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, what? what's interesting about that is I thought another name you could have used was probably Satan's Dream, it sounds like. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. you're so right. It I mean, might have been a slightly misleading title, though, when people are sort of cruising the uh, remote control, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's right. But part of the thing, it was funny when, when Nick and I were researching, we did a lot of research on this film. I remember that Nick sort of casually mentioned that it's well known, you know, in biblical studies that Satan farted himself into hell. And I was like, uh, what? Mm. Really? Satan farted and also farted himself into hell? And we... Then we we followed it up and we realized it was, you know, this is true. It's, you know, essentially in many of the retelling stories, retelling of the Bible, but also Milton's Paradise Lost, of course. Mm -hmm. Particularly, yeah. And and then we realized that this is kind of like, um, you know, a pretty powerful metaphor for what we're doing. We're we're basically farting ourselves into hell, literally, like it's happening today. Uh, You know, it's happening right now. But uh, as we kind of find out, we're kind of, you know, cows are kind of getting a bum rap. And, and most of the blame is supposed to be on us because we didn't recycle or something like this. But at the same time, we're kind of being conned, as we find out in the movie, because the real polluter is, of course, no surprise, spoiler alert, oil and gas industries. That's mm. well over 70 percent of all the greenhouse gases that are currently being pumped into the atmosphere and they're just cranking right up now, and there doesn't seem to be any 
slowing slowing down of that. And, so you know, while we're worrying about not eating meat or making fake meat or or recycling, in the meantime, you know, we're we're chugging. We're still putting all that stuff into the atmosphere. And what was interesting about that, it seems from a very small number of of, of businesses uh, that are producing that massive amount of. of yeah, well, the giants, the yeah. giants, yes. the fossil f- yes. fossil fueled industry, yeah. absolutely. But I think a number of one hundred was mentioned or something, and I thought, wow, for for yes, they're conglomerates, they're huge, but but a very small number, uh, much like I guess the ten percent of the world that has most of the wealth. Yeah, right. Yeah, one percent, one percent. I think. Mm, yeah, yeah, seventy yeah. percent of all, at least seventy percent of all the emissions are coming from the oil and gas industry. Yeah, yeah. And so it was interesting, and then that takes you on to to uh, universities where you then meet with people that are are researching, and you get into more of the the nuts and bolts about about the gases that are being produced and how this is uh, uh, tied in to the the fact that we could be farting ourselves out of existence. Oh, David, though, don't make it sound like too much like a documentary. I mean, after all, we do <laughs> go to the the World Farting Championships in Utiyarv, Finland. Oh, uh, you you ruined it for me. I wanted to be the one to say that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought your your listeners might have gone, uh-oh, documentary alert. <laughs> but no, but you're right. Um, the joke I often tell is that that, I, and this is serious. I think that farts are like essentially like a glitch in the matrix. They actually alter reality. And let me give you an example. If if we were um, you know, having this interview, and one of us, let's say, innocently was to fart. People would not remember what we're talking about. They wouldn't really, um, and if somebody asked them later about, you know, listening to the show, they would say, oh, yeah, I listened to that show. And then somebody farted. It would be the only thing that would stick in their minds. And what you see in the film, too, is like farts open this weird door that, you know, to deeper science. Um, We found out a lot about, we didn't realize that we have a sulfur metabolism. You know, farts are sulfurous. But that's because we humans have a sulfur metabolism beneath our oxygen metabolism. And that's why there's a, actually a famous Canadian researcher demonstrated that probably smelling farts, even though you think it's bad, is actually good for you. And he could suggest that if somebody was having a heart attack and you were you know, had no other choice and no other way to treat them, you should immediately go and fart in their face if possible. There was a whole meme a few uh, years ago, you might recall it, farts cure cancer. It was all over the internet. Well, it's not as insane as you might sound. They have been working on various therapies with sulfur therapies. I don't think farts cure cancer, but uh, it's not a completely crazy idea. <laughs> well, gentlemen, you, you were bringing uh, other facts in here that were left out of the documentary, uh, but <laughs> it's all it's all educational, and you've certainly altered my perspective on on watching the Matrix. I, I, I will never be able to <laughs> I will never be able to watch that scene where Morpheus is saying, "Do you know what the Matrix is?" Because <laughs> now yes. I'll just think it's a fart. <laughs> that's the glitch in the Matrix. <laughs> the glitch. Oh, that's great. So uh, I just want to let everybody know you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in uh, one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, it's a pleasure to have uh, both Albert Nuremberg and Nick Sheehan with us on the show. We're talking about the documentary that they uh, co-produced. It's called Who Farted? A collaboration between the two of them and it's uh, going to be on the uh, documentary uh, channel uh, for you to see, uh, world premiere on June 28th, but of course we'll be there uh, uh 
after that for anyone to go back and watch as well. Um, now, what's interesting about this this film, one of the things, it's uh, it won the Spirit of the Festival Award at the Red Rock Film Festival in the United States. And as they so aptly say, it naturally made an explosive entrance during its first appearance on the film and circuit. Now, uh, again, we were talking about how this uh, idea came into existence. You guys were exploring the idea of... Were you actually looking at it prior to uh, the, the girls introducing their science project around farting? Uh, you were looking yes. at, at this as a, as a way of exploring this? As you know, the great documentarian um, John Grierson defined documentary as a, quote, creative interpretation of reality. Mm. Um, everything you look at in some way is going to be manipulated. But mm. uh, uh, no, they, the, the, um, this film has taken well over 10 years mm. to put together. Okay. Um, it's it's a big, complicated process, especially when we're dealing with uh, public money, etc. Mm. So the the ideas were all there, but it, uh, the spontaneity uh, comes out when we start shooting and we start right. talking about it. And then, of course, ultimately, documentaries are made in the editing room. Right. So it's, right. it all starts out as a big, murky mystery. The whole key is you've got to raise enough money to get your crews together. And uh, yeah. sorry, it sounds terribly mundane, but uh, maybe you don't want to hear how the sausage is made, <laughs> but uh, we do stick. Everything in that film is truthful and uh, all the statistics are accurate. And we're kind of proud of that part. Yeah, for sure. It, it is a very uh, interesting and as I say, educational. I, I was surprised at some of the things I learned. For instance, uh, when you were you were talking about cows and exploring that and uh, and and learning that it's not from uh, the the uh, the rear of the cow where a lot of this methane escapes. It's actually from their mouth as well. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, that's part of the story. Is that um, I think people just thought it was funny to think that cows are farting. Yes, cows do fart, and and methane is produced, but. It is, it is the whole process of breathing, exhaling, burping, by which they produce so much methane. And, and, and that is kind of interesting, apparently, because one thing we discover in the film is that is it necessary? It may be the way that we treat our cows, the, you know, the diet. Um, mm. When there is some, a lot of research showing that if you feed cows differently, they don't produce as much methane. So there's, these are solvable problems. Mm. That's what's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I do have to ask, because you were comparing, uh, the cows were compared to, for instance, kangaroos at one point, because they were thinking of replacing something inside the, the cow to reduce the amount of methane that might be produced because kangaroos uh, didn't, uh, didn't fart as much uh, and pass wind as much as, or thought of at one point that they didn't do that as much. Um, are all those, those uh, scenes where you see animals passing wind, is that actually happening? Are they actually doing that, or is that something you guys inserted? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. Um, I, it, I looks, check, uh... <laughs> it, it certainly looks like it with some of the tails <laughs> yeah. that go up in the scenes as, the, as we see. You know, those kind of in things. some cases, I mean, the deer there, you see uh, the right. little tail lift yep, up. Yep, um, yep. Yeah. Um, the, the farts themselves, uh, they may have been embellished a right. little bit. The, um, it was really hard to control our sound people in the sound mix. Um, we had to keep sort of sitting on the farts, if you know what I mean. Uh, they get, everybody gets so excited. And, right. But you can, you can have too many farts in a fart movie, believe it or not. So uh, 
too much of a good thing, as it were. It wouldn't be difficult, I'm sure. It, it, you know, now you mentioned that, I'm sure there was some very interesting uh, uh, happenings uh, during the making of this film that we don't get to see and with the crew. Uh, but that's it for another episode, perhaps. And uh, uh, now, as we said, you, you, you did go into some serious matters uh, revolving around this. You ended up, uh, as I say, speaking with some professors around some of these stuff. You, 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 you do end up going to uh, Finland at the end of the film to see this uh, unbelievable <laughs> event that takes place. I had no idea. Uh, that was another part of the education for me, is just seeing this. That I can't believe that these, these events actually take place but but they do um yeah now the other thing though was the fast i found it really fascinating about the gentleman from france oh that's a man yeah yeah Yeah. wow what what a you know that was fascinating to think that this guy was like a a superstar uh and had this ability and then we meet someone else in the film is it mr methane yes yeah he has the same uh physical condition yes yeah I think I think you point out something very interesting. So, um, in you know, in in Paris at the turn of the century, that like the number one show in Paris is a guy who can in the be world, mm-hmm. in the world. That's right. Can can fart various national anthems. I mean, there's other things as well, but it's it's also perceived somewhat as a classy but risque show. And yeah. you know, fast forward to the present time, and you have Mr. Methane, who's basically doing the same thing, and he is set up. I mean, he's set up in this sort of like fake plot uh, as if he is trying to fart in the Queen's face. Mm. Um, because if you win Britain's Got Talent, you, you go to the to the finals where the Queen attends. Yes. And they've set up this whole fake story that he's, you know, plotting to, you know, fart in front of the Queen. And then they, they save the Queen, literally, from Mr. Methane. <laughs> uh, but you see that, and, and he's turned into a bit of a monster. Mm. And it sort of is a, a comment on our times, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all it's all fascinating stuff and very interesting, no question about it. Uh, you guys have really, th- uh, really woven the story in such a way that that it takes us through history, takes us through to, back to the beginning <laughs> of time, pretty much. Who would have thought that a that a fart would be able to, uh, you know, bring yes. about bring all this together? Art portal. Yeah, it's all about in the end. It's all about nature, isn't it? I think that's what we're, as you saw, yeah. as the film moves yeah. towards some kind of what do we do in this, yes. you know, thing. We have unless we can accept our farts, that's our our own nature. How mm. do we begin to accept nature itself and the much bigger issue, of course, of climate change? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a great way, as you say, to bring it back. And, and humor is a great way of teaching. It's a right. It's proven. It's a great way of, of teaching. Yeah. So uh, this this is all the, this all makes perfect sense. And as you just point out, it, it does bring it back around. You you do uh, are able to get a, a little bit of a of a clip from uh, Al Gore in there. Um, who yeah. you we know? Met him. Albert met him. Albert, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a quite actually. It's a funny story. Um, you know, I wanted to sort of like you know see his take and and what it was was that uh, literally he was on. He was on NBC where a woman asked him, you know, um, you know, it was a kind of it's a it's a pivotal moment in, in climate change history. And she said, um, you know, do we still have time? Mm-hmm. And he wasn't able to completely to answer her. Uh, I'm not sure why, but but he basically stepped off the, uh, you know, the platform and walked into a crowd. And I just I just jumped in front of him and I said, do we still have time? And uh, so that that was like, and I think that's a big question in this film. Do we? Yeah. Uh, and and what was interesting is, was his answer. Yes, I know his answer is right. weird. 
Well, yeah. if Albert had jumped in front of him and said, who farted, probably the Secret Service would have wrestled him <laughs> yes, around. Yes, for sure. <laughs> of course, yeah. Then we would have had a different film altogether. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so, but then, of course, is it the same uh, event where um, uh, where we see... Um, and my, my mind's going blank. Uh, oh, I know you're talking about... Um, uh, Harrison <laughs> Ford. Yeah, Harrison, when, yeah, Harrison yeah. Ford comes out. Yeah. Is same it, event. Yeah. yeah, same event. Now, now, gentlemen, I have to ask you with you know with everything that you've done with this film, uh, because you kind of tie it in. You say Harrison Ford, you know, does a great job of summing this up. Yeah, and, and he does. And, and you go also to Britain. You meet some people there that are really going back to nature and letting things grow naturally, and uh, and and look at how that can change things. To if we take more of a more of a natural approach. And here's my question for for all the great work that you've done on this, because what I kept thinking about was this is what indigenous people have been doing for millennia, living in harmony with the land. How come we are avoiding indigenous knowledge and and the people that know and have always done this? Why are we not, you know, looking to indigenous people for their knowledge and working with them? And 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 it's like we're rediscovering this when it's right in front of us. This is the um, bingo. I think you've answered partly, but I would say the you know the the big answer is. Um, you know, when you look deep into farts, you get answers. And one of the answers is that we're afraid of the wild. We're mm. afraid of, even even environmentalists are afraid of the wild. Um, you know, a lot of this, the, the plans to fight climate change still are all about controlling nature and just controlling it in a way that is more beneficial for us. Where what the film kind of says is like, one of the best things we can do is get out of the way. Mm. You know, let just it go. Let yep. it do its um, and, 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 and you need, I think you needed a place where there's proof. And we went to a place where there kind of is proof mm -hmm. that getting out of the way might work. Yes. Uh, and, and also, uh, as Harrison Ford said, and, 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 you know, in the film, but other people have also said this, uh, the earth doesn't need us. No, we need That's the right. earth. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Harrison it, Ford, you know, what's funny is that we thought Harrison Ford was like the perfect, char perfect character because, you know, one of our themes is wildness, innate wildness. Yeah, and right. when Harrison Ford comes out, he looks like a yes, wild man. That's right. And we thought he, he, he must be for a part. He must be playing some kind of back to nature, crazy character. I mean, I think he was, wasn't he? Sort of in that call, uh, call, call of the wild. wild. Yeah. 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 So that's what it is. He does call the wild, but it's sort of like uh, with an animated dog and mm. kind of mm -hmm. it sounds like it's pretty disappointing. Right. We were a little yeah. bit disappointed with the movie. Um, uh, yeah. Now, can we, can we, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time, but the other thing it was this gentleman you spoke with about, the earth itself now i've you know uh many people believe that the earth is a living being i i certainly believe it is yeah. uh yeah. and and so if everything farts you know there is sort of this illusion in the film that perhaps the the big one is is coming and it's mother earth herself mm -hmm. well you know what's terrifying is i think it's one theory is it's happening right now i mean it, you know yesterday i think or the day before it was 101 uh, degrees Fahrenheit in, in, in Siberia. Mm. And the issue is that Siberia has like enormous quantities of locked in I, um, mm. methane deposits. Mm. And this is, this is why cow farting, cow farting is so dangerous. It's not just that cows are producing the methane. It's that as they heat the atmosphere, they, they heat Siberia, they heat the Canadian Arctic. 
and the risk there is a huge methane bomb released under the ocean, which might be happening right now. And and one theory is if that happened, like it's all over, we we can't stop it. It's so out of control. We're done. So uh, yeah. so it is terrifying. We're trying to visualize it, as you saw the scientist who says if we could just see climate change. Like it would be all brownie green in the sky, right? Mm -hmm. And getting worse all the time. Right. Then we do something about it. But right. gases are invisible. That's yes. our problem. Yes. Much like the Matrix. Exactly. Yes. All, all like right. the, I didn't know gases were invisible until I made this film. I just thought mm. some were, but I right. figured, you know, they all look different. But you know, technically, every true gas is invisible, including methane and, and CO2, of course. Mm. A fascinating gentleman. It's a really fascinating film. Uh, fun to watch, of course. Very educational uh, and and very uh, entertaining. But as I say, uh, historical. Uh, you tie in so many things, and and it's a, a really a, a joy to watch. And congratulations on, on on getting this film put together. And let's hope that that it does make us not only laugh but makes us think and do something about changing the way we do things so that we can save ourselves and save this planet. Cool. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Well said. Uh, yeah. Any final comments just before we leave, guys? Um, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the deepest interview we've done so far. Yeah, oh, that's great. Little, uh, kind of, you're really hitting on some really yeah. important issues and pressing for the darker, darker side. We, of course, try to be light but uh, I'm glad that you caught the really serious message for sure. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, yeah. Well, oh, that's great. And and of course, uh, just for for people that want to go and watch the film, uh, you will leave with uh, an entertaining bit uh, at the very end of the film, where you're at the World Farting Championships in Northern Finland, which is yeah. something I had no idea took place. Not surprised that it does, though. Really. Um, yeah. And and uh, uh, Albert, you were. <laughs> You were there with a real close-up view of things. Yes, Albert, Albert took one for the team, as it were. <laughs> yeah, I would not recommend this experience, but um, Mr. Methane asked to demonstrate, you know, he wanted yeah. to prove that he's not yeah. fake farting, that he's yes. really farting. And so, yes, um, I experienced a uh, full fart. Uh, yeah. I would not recommend it. It's yep. um, not a, not pleasant. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think this guy is, you know, the, one of the world's most devastating farters. And I can assure you that that, that is true. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you, to hear you survived the experience. It survived, yeah. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, David. Uh, our pleasure. Uh, that They are the voices of Albert Nuremberg and Nick Sheehan. They uh, co-produced the film Who Farted. You can catch that on the documentary channel. That is this part of the program. Uh, but please don't go away. And thank you for listening, because we're going to have more right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM, and you can listen on your device of choice anywhere across the country 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
Uh, you can also go back and listen to some of our uh, previous interviews uh, that we did on our SoundCloud, and uh, you can also uh, listen online on our website as well. Uh, also, uh, if you have a question or if you've heard something that you'd like to reach out and maybe make a comment or ha ask a question, I'd be more than happy to uh, uh, feel that for you. If you want to reach out to me at dmoses at elmntfm.ca, uh, send that off to me. I'd be happy to get your email. I'd like to welcome our next guest to the show, Sarah Buchanan. Uh, she is with Environmental Defense, and she is the Clean Energy Program Manager uh, with the Engineering Department uh, in the U U at the University of Toronto. And uh, she's here to talk about something that we're seeing less of these days, I'm happy to say. Um, and that is pollution. Of course, since COVID-19 kicked in uh, and we've been doing a lot less driving, uh, people are staying home. Uh, we've all heard the stories about how pollution has changed radically. Uh, people are seeing clearer skies. The waters have cleared, of course. Uh, people are seeing animals come back to the city and, and sort of uh, uh, start to take over the city to some degree and participate in the streets and things. And um, it's, it's great to have her here on the show because we're going to be talking about how pollution has changed. Uh, specifically, I guess we're talking about um, maybe near road pollution. Well, I'm working uh, with uh, Professor Marianne Hatsopoulou, and she's okay. uh, she's involved in uh, in their research group that looks at traffic-related air pollution. Mm. And uh, and so far, uh, you know, also worked with with Marianne. There's a really inspiring group of academics there at U of T um, that are looking at you know not just during the pandemic, but they're looking at uh, air pollution in general um, and um, and you know the air pollution that's created by the traffic on our streets. Can you tell us a little bit more about environmental defense then? Yeah, so environmental defense is uh, we're a charity and we work with, uh, with governments, with people, with industry um, on, uh, you know, a number of, of topics to uh, environmental topics. One of those topics is climate change. We also work to get clean water um, and, you know, to reduce sprawl. Uh, we work to mm -hmm. reduce toxics in our environment. And uh, so I work on our climate change team. Hmm. Wow. Uh, sprawl. That's a that's a topic. But so is pollution. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's you use the, the term uh, climate change. But of course, we've heard that, of course, change to uh, a climate crisis. How, how do you how were you viewing this maybe a year ago? Uh, yeah. And that's a great point about using the term climate crisis instead of climate change. I think for a lot of people, the term change doesn't denote the kind of emergency that we're in. Um, and you asked how I was viewing this topic a year ago, probably pretty similarly, you know, to how I'm viewing it now, mm. um, knowing that we need to take drastic action, um, that we're in, you know, we're in, um, we're in a time where we need to kind of pull together and take action on climate change. But obviously right now in the current moment, we're in a time where we need to pull together and take a really urgent immediate action on the pandemic. Um, mm. And, you know, and, and seeing people, seeing people willing to, um, to do that and to take action uh, to address this global pandemic uh, has actually been really, in some ways, really inspiring and really motivating. And I think there's definitely some lessons to be learned for the climate crisis um, in terms of, you know, how, how willing people are to think of the greater good and just to think, okay, I, you know, I'm going to take action to help my neighbors. How can I do that? 
Mm. Um, of course, uh, as we pointed out, uh, we've seen air pollution drop. I think people can actually see difference in the air. I know people have mentioned to me, hey, I could see things that I haven't seen before, you know, going down a hill or, you know, f- see further away. Um, so you you have been you study these these effects you study the pollutants what is what is it about uh car pollutants and and vehicle pollutants uh near earth or near road that make it uh particular and i understand there's a difference between some of the the pollutants that are given off by vehicles and diesel it gives off certain different kinds than 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 the uh the the gas vehicles yeah yeah, so we're, um, you know, we're doing a project right now, I mentioned working with academics at U of T, and we're kind of just looking at everything that's coming out of those tailpipes on, our, in, on the roads in and around Toronto. Um, that includes Hamilton as well. And, you know, some of those things coming out of tailpipes uh, vehicles are greenhouse gas emissions, obviously carbon emissions. And some of those things coming out of tailpipes hurt our health really, really immediately. And those uh, are, are nitrogen dioxide, um, you mentioned diesel pollution creates a lot of black carbon, a lot of particulate matter. So there's uh, lots of big words to describe uh, all the gross things coming out of their tailpipes. Um, but you know, mostly it's, it's, uh, it's damaging our health and it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's basically not good for us and it's something that we can prevent. So we wanted to dig down into, um, you know, what impact can uh, can cleaning up our air have on our health? So that's that's what we're working on now. Now we're in a moment, um, as you mentioned, where our air is actually getting a little cleaner temporarily, and that's because people are just driving around less. Um, and I do want to clarify that you know the, the pandemic overall isn't helping anyone, and that there's no I, I wouldn't say there's any silver lining here. Uh, but we are seeing a drop in traffic-related air pollution. Um, history tells us that if it's business as usual, this drop will be temporary. Mm. But if we, you know, if we think hard about it and take this as an example of um, how air pollution, you know, can potentially drop and think, okay, what are other ways that aren't a pandemic that we can reduce traffic related air pollution, then maybe we can take some of these steps forward and implement programs, you know, for example, to get cleaner trucks on the road um, that uh, that aren't hurting the health of people who live next to major highways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because apparently that those those fumes that come out of these diesel vehicles are particularly bad for about three weeks or so, if I'm not mistaken. There's a, this, this, the kind of stuff that hangs in the air for mm-hmm. a while, and it's very yeah, close the, to... Yeah, the, the diesel vehicles, particularly the really old, really big uh, trucks, the long-haul trucks, are particularly bad for our health. And um, and those uh, they have a disproportionate impact on the health, particularly of people who live really close to those highways where a lot mm. of those big trucks are operating. For example, mm. along the 401, mm. and that's um, that's something actually that the the group uh, you mentioned, SoCar, they uh, they did a study earlier this year and looked at you know what kind of air pollution was coming out um, in various areas, and the area close to the 401. Um, had a really disproportionately high amount of uh, of some of the most toxic air pollution, um, and that you know that is is from the, those diesel vehicles, those big trucks. 
So, you know, if we're looking for low hanging fruit, getting those trucks upgraded to, you know, more efficient models, newer models, um, and, you know, just simple things like getting air filters on uh, and improving uh, air quality from those trucks is, is a really good example of some low hanging fruit. Now we've also got things like buses uh, that run on diesel as well. And those buses, you know, are in a lot of our transit fleets and they're operating mm -hmm. in dense cities where there's a lot of pedestrians, a lot of people walking around, cycling, maybe standing and waiting at those transit stops. So improving buses and electrifying buses is another way uh, that we can make our air cleaner and we can make our air cleaner um, right where the most people are. So that's another thing we're, we're talking about and we're trying to raise awareness about is, you know, if our cities can take action to electrify their entire bus fleets, then we can go a long way in improving air pollution for people, um, particularly in cities uh, like Toronto, like Ottawa, even Hamilton. Um, so that's, and, and also it'll go a long way in reducing greenhouse gas emissions because those vehicles also create a lot of carbon pollution. And at the same time, when we think about you know, we're in a time where we're looking to economic recovery solutions. If you look yep. at a solution like adding electric buses to your fleet, if you think about, okay, where are those buses made? A lot of those electric buses are actually made in Canada. Um, and that's a really great way for cities to support economic recovery jobs uh, by buying local and by buying those Canadian made electric buses, getting them on their roads, improving people's health locally, and then also helping the economy to recover. I'm glad to hear you mentioning this because this is something I was uh, uh, thinking about, and I think I, I blogged about it a little while ago, and, and thinking exactly what you're saying is is it's a perfect time as we're in this lull right now to, uh, you know, we've seen how uh, companies that, uh, manufacturing companies, some car auto dealers and other, other manufacturers that have retooled to help with COVID-19. And I thought, well, if they could retool that quickly to help with this situation, why would this not necessarily then also be a perfect time for them to think about retooling for a greener economy coming out of this and moving into the future? Uh, much like you're saying about these electric buses, which would be great. Um, now, you, you said also that, uh, and you've touched on this a little bit, and I'm just wondering if there's any, any more to add to this. You said this could be, a, this is avoidable in terms of the pollution, I guess, to some degree. And you, I know you talked about upgrading and, and uh, getting filters on vehicles and those kind of things. Is that what you're referring to? Or, or what else might you have been referring to when you said that this could be avoidable? Yeah, it's, it's avoidable in, in a few different ways. I mean, the first and most obvious way is, is simply to not drive as much, whether, mm. that, whether it's cars or trucks, um, really anything that pollutes. Um, if we can reduce just the total number of kilometers driven on the road, for example, from solutions like more people working from home, you know, the cleanest uh, cars are the ones that aren't on the road at all. So that's a really, um, that's, that's a good top line thing to think about is how do we get more people out of cars and into maybe public transit, um, onto bikes, um, onto, you know, safe places to walk. Um, so that's one way that we can avoid a lot of this pollution going into the air. Uh, now, of course, you know, we can't suddenly yank all the vehicles off the road. Um, so getting cleaner vehicles on the road is also really important for those trips that do have to be taken. Mm. Um, so I mentioned, you know, electrifying uh, the vehicles that are out there 
and and having having government help uh, and programs enable and uh, in order to help speed up that transition, which is happening, but it's happening relatively slowly right now. Um, so you know we've got some recommendations for how uh, for how that transition can happen a little bit faster and how we can get more uh, electric vehicles and cleaner vehicles out there on the road. Mm. Please don't go away, because we will be right back with more right here on Element FM, right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Just going to jump in and say you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM. On your device of choice, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And it's a pleasure to have Sarah Buchanan with us. She is the Clean Economy Program Manager with Environmental Defense. We're talking about near road air pollution and uh, how things have somewhat changed temporarily, as uh, was pointed out by Sarah earlier, uh, for the better in terms of air pollution. Uh, But if we go back to and come out of this COVID-19 situation to the same way we were operating prior to this, then, then this air pollution situation we find ourselves in will be temporary. However, uh, Sarah, you pointed out, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, are you seeing a willingness or are you hearing a more of a willingness to, to look at things differently or to maybe consider now that we're in this situation? Because everybody talks about we can't go back to the normal we had. It's interesting how COVID-19 has, has pointed that out to us. Um, but are you hearing that? I'm definitely hearing that. I'm hearing there's a public appetite for it. I'm hearing it from, uh, you know, the folks I talk to about these issues. Um, and I guess the the proof is in the pudding with, with government in terms of whether um, whether we're going to see that manifested in the recovery plans that are put forward. So we're definitely out there asking for it um, and asking for you know strong recovery tools that uh, that can change our patterns and keep pollution low permanently, uh, keep greenhouse gas emissions low permanently, um, and even while our economy bounces back. So uh, I really do hope to see it. I think there's momentum there for sure. There's a ton of people asking for it. um, And I just, uh, yeah, I'd really like to see these solutions move forward, you know, and not just at a federal level, also um, our provincial government and our our city governments as Mm. well. Um, thinking about this as as we recover, and you know, there's lots of uh, recommendations we put forward. Things like uh, like retrofitting buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that to slow the impacts of climate change, we already knew that we had to significantly um, redesign or, or retrofit um, tons of buildings. Basically, every existing building uh, in this country, if you think about it, has to have some tweaks to make it more energy efficient and mm-hmm. use less. Um, use less energy to run. So if you think about the amount of skilled trades work it's going to take to do that, it's pretty massive. Mm. And that's one of the, the green recovery tools that we put forward mm-hmm. is why not make a massive investment in upgrading our buildings in Canada, make them more energy efficient, you know, make them more comfortable so you don't have leaks and drafts all over the place as well. Um, but then also create a lot of jobs and a lot of skills in a really up and coming field. So Canada can be a leader in that. And uh, that's, that's one of the things we're asking for. 
Um, when you say we were asking for, uh, do you have the ear of, of the government or do you have the ear of people that can f- help facilitate these changes then? Yeah, so a big part of our work uh, at Environmental Defense is, uh, is you know, meeting with folks in government at any level from every party um, and bringing forward some of these ideas that we've uh, we've talked through with with people and with stakeholders, et cetera. Um, and so we do meet regularly um, with governments to bring these idea forward ideas forward. and uh, and you know we do often uh, get results in seeing these these turn into government policy. Um, and uh, but we need our supporters to do that, and we need uh, the public also um, to do that. So us going in there with just one voice is one mm. thing. But us going in there, when people have been signing petitions uh, and have been, uh, you know, asking for it with their local representatives, um, that's a lot more effective. So we, I would, I'll say that we have the year of government uh, when uh, when people are paying attention. Um, now you mentioned buildings that need uh, retrofits, and and yeah, absolutely, it would it would definitely need a large workforce to uh, go in and start doing that. And again, you know, uh, I've heard, uh, I don't know if you heard this, uh, but I guess it was last week when Twitter announced uh, it told its employees to stay home and not bother ever coming back to the office just to continue to work from home. Um, so that's about 4,000 people. But if, if other businesses continue to, uh, you know, on that and saying, hey, yeah, this is not necessarily a bad idea, at least, you know, maybe two, three days of the week, people can operate from their home instead of always having to come into the office, one that would hopefully cut down on on travel and pollution um, and and other areas that put a strain on our environment as well. Um, but uh, there are some things I've also heard that kind of fit in with what you're talking about. And I remember the, the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, saying uh, they're going to, I think it's about 50 miles of roads, they're going to restrict and have more access for people, for pedestrians and, uh, and uh, bicycles and restrict uh, more cars. Uh, using that space. Uh, That sounds like it's maybe a step in the right direction. It may be a temporary one. I'm not sure about the permanence of it, but I think that's a great idea. It would be great if every city uh, took that uh, and and ran with it, and and hopefully other cities are doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I was one of those people out there uh, this weekend (laughs) biking along uh, Lakeshore Boulevard Mm, in Toronto, mm. which which had been shut down. Um, But as I was biking, I was like, oh, this is so great. Mm. Um, but I, I want it to be permanent. I do. I want to see more dedicated um, uh, areas for cyclists to feel safe and be able to yeah. to cycle without worrying about fast moving cars around them. And I think yeah. that would get a lot more people out on their bikes um, mm. and also, you know, dedicated safe places for people to walk. Um, as I mentioned, one of the really, really important ways to permanently reduce uh, air pollution from cars is just to get more people out of those cars. But mm. they have to feel safe and comfortable getting out of those cars in order to do that. So yes, steps like closing down roads, creating safe bike pathways, um, those all help people feel more empowered to get out of their cars. And you know, and, and creating better transit as well. Mm. Um, and so we know that you know, traffic volumes in, in Toronto, by one count I saw, have been cut in half, uh, at least for the end of March. Mm. Um, and a lot of that, you know, frankly, is from people obviously work from home. Mm-hmm. And that's also a big part of it as well, is if, if there's some folks who 
um, can work from home more often and have realized that in the current moment, um, then if workplaces can enable them to make that decision, um, that's going to really reduce traffic volume on our roads. That's going to keep air pollution down. Um, now, when you talk about retrofitting uh, buildings um, and, and trying to make them more efficient, um, geothermal came to mind. I don't know if that is, is that, a, is that an expensive retrofit? Um, geothermal, of course, is a great way for heating and cooling, is it not? Definitely. Yeah, it's one of those things that it costs a lot of money up front, but then over time it kind of pays for itself. And um, I recall under the previous Ontario government, there was actually a, there was a program where they would give you uh, incentives, mm. uh, or they were just starting to plan it out. They hadn't introduced it yet for mm. geothermal. And that was to help address that huge upfront cost. Um, mm. They would help pay for that, uh, and then uh, you would reap the benefits over time. Right. So basically, they have to dig pretty pretty yeah. deep to um, get those loops in the ground right. and uh, you know the idea being that the ground is is a constant temperature mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it can help either heat or cool your home how and, far did, uh, how, sorry go ahead oh yeah I'm just gonna clarify too there's there's a couple different types of geothermal so sometimes people think of the really kind of deep into the like core of the earth uh, mm-hmm. geothermal uh, that sort of big industrial geothermal energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's also a really, you know, big, important source of uh, potential energy, but there's home geothermal where, you know, it's just in your home, they dig into the ground, they install some loops. Um, and, uh, it's not, it's not the, uh, as I call it, the pits of Mordor, um, <laughs> geothermal where they dig into the, the parts of the earth that can create steam. Right. Cool. Um, now, the other thing, transportation, um, I'm assuming we're talking, talking electric. Uh, I believe that's the, uh, right now, they're, they're, they're having great advance. I've seen a few buses uh, traveling around that are electric now in the city as well. Um, but um, are there alternates? There, there was another alternate. Um, uh, is it, is it uh, the hydrogen? Is that, do you know what the advances are in any of these areas that might make it more economical? Because I think the cost is another one of those things, right, that, that has perhaps inhibited people going uh, to these vehicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So the cost, um, well, the, the cost right now for uh, electric uh, is actually cheaper than hydrogen in general. Mm. Um, hydrogen is another clean technology, you're right, that's been used um, uh, in, uh, in vehicles. But uh, electric vehicles are being created and built at, at more of a scale. So they're, uh, they're coming down in price quite quickly. And it's sort of a chicken and egg thing, right? As, more, as there's more demand for electric vehicles, yeah. um, they can create them on a larger scale, which means the price comes down, which means there's more demand for them, which means they build more, so it goes on and on. So that's why we're seeing prices of electric vehicles sure. coming down. Um, and I've seen some projections that say that, you know, they're expected to hit actually the price parity, the, the same price as mm. gas vehicles uh, mm. at some point in the next decade. Oh. Um, so we are going to hit a point where, you know, there's just enough people buying them that they'll be about the same price. Um, and that battery technology is getting a lot better as well. Right. But for now, um, that's one of the reasons we really want the federal government to keep uh, the incentive they have for people who buy electric vehicles. Uh, they have, a, I think it's $5,000 incentive just to help address that upfront cost difference. And we also think that should be temporary um, because, you know, we just need to help drive up demand temporarily 
mm-hmm. and then it's going to hit price parity. Yeah. Those won't be needed anymore. Well, I, I think Ontario had a pretty good incentive at one point, but I think that was axed. Mm-hmm. They did. They had a they had a much more generous incentive in Ontario, mm-hmm. um, and it was axed in 2018. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we saw the sales drastically decline for electric yeah. vehicles in Ontario. So it did show that it does help uh, bring those numbers up. But you know, another thing we're calling for is not just incentives. Um, we're also asking for what's called a, a zero emission vehicle sales mandate. So put simply, that's just telling automakers that they have to sell a certain percentage mm. uh, of their fleet as uh, zero emission vehicles. So that can mm. be electric, that can be hydrogen. Mm-hmm. And so it, it puts the onus on the automakers a little bit to actually advertise these vehicles, actually make them available to people. Because one of the barriers, uh, in addition to cost, is just sometimes people can't find them or they go to a dealership and they say, oh, you know, we, <laughs> we don't have one in stock right now. We'll look into it. Um, partly because automakers will send more electric vehicles to places who have a rule in place that says they have to sell a certain amount of vehicles. Right. Um, so having one, you know, for example, across Canada that says there has to be, you know, you have to sell 25% of your fleet as, as your emission vehicles, that would go a long way in addressing um, that supply issue and making it pretty consistent across Canada. Sarah, it's been wonderful speaking with you. I'm just wondering as we finish up, is there anything we haven't touched on that you think is important to mention just before we leave? Um, you know, just, I guess, uh, just moving forward, it, it's, I think it's helpful to think about how we can make some of the, some of the sort of side things that have happened during the pandemic. Uh, you know, for example, air pollution reductions. Um, how can we create a world where this exists without a pandemic? How can we put the tools in place uh, to make sure that air pollution uh, stays low and is even lower than it is now um, without having to completely shut down our economy? And that those tools exist, uh, they're out there. And in fact, those tools can help our economy recover. So, you know, I'd say the smart thing to do is, uh, is to move forward with that green recovery. All right. That's a great way to end our uh, our conversation. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, and I want to thank you. But just before we go, when talking about air pollution, you know, I saw a, it's, it's a conversation for another time. However, I recently saw an interview with, with a doctor who was tying in COVID-19 with air pollution. If you think about the, the cities that have, that have been worst hit uh, predominantly, and he gave very good cases as to why that was happening. I thought that was a fascinating conversation. But anyway, as I say, that's for another another time. But it's interesting how it does tie in with something we're we're looking at and trying to uh, battle and get down, just like you're saying, to keep these keep these levels low uh, permanently and into the future and get them even lower. Absolutely. You know, I, I didn't really mention it, but there's been a few studies now pointing to how um, areas with more higher air pollution um, actually can suffer greater impacts of, mm. um, of respiratory diseases like mm. COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So if we can keep our air pollution down lower, we'll also be more resistant to these kind of respiratory illnesses. All right, Sarah, wonderful. Thank you for that. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the show and, uh, and, and uh, all the best to you in the future. Thank you so much. Great talking with you.
Likewise, take care. That's Sarah Buchanan. She is the Clean Economy Program Manager with Environmental Defense. And that is our show for today. We want to thank you for joining us here on Element FM. We'll be back next time here on Moment of Truth with more. Thanks. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.